0: Lost and Sound is sponsored by Audio-Technica. This year is the company's 60th anniversary. Audio-Technica are a global but still family-run company that makes studio-quality yet affordable products. They made the first microphone I ever bought. They make stuff that I use. They make stuff that you probably use too because they believe that high-quality audio should be accessible to all. So head on over to Audiotechnica.com to check out all of their range of stuff. OK, I'm Paul Hamford, and you're about to hear a conversation with Anton Newcomb in this week's Lost and Sound. Welcome to Lost and Sound. I'm Paul Hanford. I'm your host. I'm a writer and author based in Berlin, where I'm speaking to you from. I think you can probably just hear the S train, um, the S-Bahn going past in the background. It's a really, really, really cold morning here in December, December the 7th, 2022. I hope wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're having a really, really awesome day day. Um, Yep, thanks for listening. This is the show where we meet the innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the artists that do their own unique thing and we talk about life and the things that inspire us to make the things that we make. Because great things don't come out of a hierarchy of knowledge, but out of sharing. Previous guests have included Peaches, Jim O'Rourke, Chili Gonzalez, Letitia Sadie, Ghost Poet, Cozy Funny Two T, Nightmares on Wax, First and More, and Mary Davidson. And today you're going to hear a conversation I had with an artist who certainly ticks off all of these boxes of what the show is about. A true maverick. Over 30 years, this guest has carved an idiosyncratic and I'd say pure path, Anton Newcomb. Anton Newcomb, his musical project, The Brian Jonestown Massacre, you know, of course you know, began in San Francisco in the early 90s. Anton at the time, was heralded very early on as a successor to Bob Dylan or The Beatles. His music, i describe in the realms of being a form of psychedelic rock played with intensity on vintage equipment, has always carved its own unique thing. Outspoken, often, I think, very misunderstood. He is, in fact, I feel, a clever, tenacious and conscientious artist, and rare, I'd say utterly unique, in the world of in the world that does have a music industry, that he has carved a DIY ecosystem and he talks in the conversation you're about to hear about, about this. If there's a song that the Brian Jonestown Massacre have that I have the deepest relationship with, I know I'm not alone in this particular song, the song Anemone and I apologise about my pronouncing, it's just one of those words I find very, very difficult to say. It's a song that's supposed to have been Anthony Bourdain's favourite song. Um, and it's a tune that I hear all of the time. It just follows me around. I sit in cafes, it comes on. On Friends playlists, it comes on. It's it's just there. It's in the ether. It's it's like a lot of their other music. It sort of seeps into the atmosphere and and chemically combines with the atmosphere somehow Um, next year very early next year he's putting out the 20th Brian Jonestown Massacre studio album and for the last bunch of years quite a lot of years now he's lived in Berlin possibly although I wouldn't want to say for sure living in self-exile in this city which despite rising gentrification does offer a freedom both personally and politically and how that's connected together that is disappearing or has disappeared from other western cities and on a berlin note before we start my book coming to berlin global journeys into an electronic music and club culture capital is out now on velocity press and available in all bookshops thank you so much to everyone that's read it so far it means a lot to me um yes so this conversation took a little bit of organizing um i have to admit i i i was sick last week and i bailed on when we were meant to be doing this and so anton was incredibly courteous and and nice to to let me rearrange and and so i'm hugely grateful for that and we open as this is on Zoom. He was giving me a virtual tour of his studio where he was speaking from. And this is what happened.
1: So, like, you know, this is like your your classic, you know, it, the BBC Marconis modeled after it, but it's that classic RCA, like you see Elvis mm. and Billie Holiday and all those people. That's mm. from the 30s. So I use like that kind of stuff. So you don't really need the mixing desk. Yeah. Yeah. So- because it, I'm already recording like jazz. This is like a classic sort of Glenn John's, like the Beatles style. You know, I, I learned a lot of my techniques from looking at photos. Mm. You know, uh, it was also
0: kind of like when when I look at like clips of like, like Get Back and stuff. The size of the uh, Abbey Road rooms that the Beatles would often record in often feels like it sort of takes a little bit of the atmosphere away from my imagination. What you've got there sure. feels very nice and kind of compact in terms of creating an atmosphere
1: yeah well they were so weird you know they're like uh paul's tradition like that he's like oh we've got the beatles boutique let's let's drag everything across town and set up a recording studio they're like can we do that yeah we're the beatles you can do it so that kind of thing but um when i first started out you know we would finagle um we would finagle i guess when i was a teenager recording time wherever we could so the first things were like in jingle spaces i guess mm-hmm. in southern california where they were doing commercials and stuff like that just horrible and then i would get going in studios and you'd never have enough time i mean the hardest thing in a recording studio is you either have to submit or you have to find some way of getting this common language mm-hmm. you know because you're trying to describe sound. So imagine yourself being a kid and you're and say like you, you are the cure. So you don't have the cure as a point of reference to say, I want it to sound like this or something. So, you know, and then everybody gets insecure because you, you kind of want, it's like your dream. You kind of want it to be to uh, you want to get there. Like, I don't know, every band you, you've seen on the enemy or something, all your dreams or whatever it is. Right. So I've tried everything. You know, because first of all, it was there was nothing to relate our sound back to, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get people to stop messing with the sound. See, like I just described, I don't do anything to the mm-hmm. sound. I have all this old gear. What I do is I just play. I'm not hiding behind pedals and doodads or any of this garbage. You know, and then when I play live, it's actually better in that sense that. Um, it has that dynamic energy, you know. And um, I, I uh, my recordings are sort of like um, conceptual art, you know. Like I don't, I don't worry about it being polished because you look at people like the Stone Roses. Like, who cares how great that record sounds? They can't play it live to save their life. Like, I cannot sing, <laughs> and that's why they, there was never a second record because that factoid and the fact that they got like twenty million to make another one. They're like, why even bother? The joke. Let's just keep the money and not record. You know. Mm. But anyway, so I've tried all kinds of different things. Like one time, we lived like the monkeys, you know, up in the Hollywood Hills where the whole band was there, and it was just like people doing drugs and eating six hundred quid worth of block cheese, and just you know, and just not accomplishing anything. And I was the only person writing and recording. So then I sort of had a place in Laurel canyon you know where it was like just me and all this kind of gear and then i would wake up and i wouldn't feel like uh recording maybe i felt like doing drugs or whatever mm. but you just feel like such a shit because people um they have all these dreams you know and it's so impossible for them to ever imagine even what it takes to to make their dreams come true or just how they're going to acquire all those guitars or do you know what I mean? Like you're, you're in the shop so many days and the record shops, you're looking at people's records and you're, and you're wondering about being, being on tour and all that stuff. So you just really feel like just a shit. If you, you, you have all this equipment and you don't use it, I find if you're confined. So it's, it's nice to go to work, I think. And also put that behind you when you go, when you go home, but now I'm, I'm sort of living here again.
0: So like a sort of sense of is there like a sense of gratitude? Are you sort of talking about a sense of gratitude that you have to for what you've got now and and the sort of tenaciousness of of
1: what you've been through in in in, in getting that? Well, yes, but also, you know, all all I know is the examples that are laid out before me historically, right? And all I know is everybody gets this almost everybody without exception. They only get as far as they get but they generally turn shitty really quick mm-hmm. and i don't care who it is and it's so weird because it's so high elite for people to like put me in some other kind of category with this like very unique situation right but there's like you you pick anybody you want from the 60s and then you uh you tack on 20 years and you ask yourself what any of these people were doing in the 80s and it's just mm-hmm. horrible and i've been playing longer than that i'm just getting better, so. It's kind of an interesting thing, I think, because people, you know, it's like little Steven from little Stevie from Bruce Springsteen. He's got Mm. serious radio, you know, and he'll go on and on about some seven inch that maybe sold 75,000 copies, if that, in the 60s. Right. And I got Mm. songs that have like 130 million spins and I've sold more physical copies than that. And we'll never be on that show. And it's probably a better song. You know what I mean? It's just like, we'll never be on that show. Mm. So, and and the same thing happens with like Jules Holland. You know, sometimes I giggle to myself a little bit. Because like Sleeper Maws would be on there with, you know, like 3.9 million. And there I am. I've got songs that have like 139 million spins. You know, like <laughs> it, it, is it spins? What is it? But I think that they're just important in a certain way mm. in, what the, the spins do you mean or? no i am the sleeper mods are important to the establishment because it's like it's like a uh this like release valve for people like yeah. oh here, here's the working class we're you know like I mean, particularly, I mean, you seem to be
0: someone that's kind of very sort of sussed and nuanced about politics and global affairs and and also English politics as well. And I've, I've had that sense with well, I, the English I, establishment, I, like to let off a little bit of, OK, you yeah. can have your working class heroes this year. Sure. You
1: know? but, but I own the LTD. I'm a CEO. So oh. I pay my tax in the UK. Ah. My, my younger son you know, he's half Welsh. So I have every right in the world to uh, be concerned with the politics as they, as far as, uh, you know, I bank with HSBC. So I have every, every right in the world to follow their politics and everybody, anybody else I care to, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and you mentioned something uh, just now about um, right at the beginning, going into kind of like Jingle studios. And I've had this experience in bands that I've, been in as well back in the day where maybe we've had like been able to afford three hours or a day and the whole idea of translating to like an engineer there that just kind of knows how to do their thing what you know how how did you you must have had to develop skills
1: in order to sort of try and get shit across well I just think out other ways to calm it. But the, the main thing is I would walk in and there'd be like 16 microphones in the middle of the room, and I'd be like, What the hell are those for? And they'd be like, Well, those are for the drums. And I go, put those things away. <laughs> you have no idea what we're even doing. For all you know, I'm Bobby Gillespie and this is Jesus Mary Chain. You know, no. Mm-hmm. And they create all these situations in a normal standard studio where they're like gonna set up all this stuff, you're gonna bang on it. They're going to get all these sounds, right, tweaked out. So everything sounds good, right? You're going to play it. And then what do they do next after you track it? They're going to mix it again? I'm like, mm-hmm. no, just mix it. You could just record it the way you want it to sound, and then you're mixed. Just press, just dump it to tape. What are you talking about? But they just create all this, like, <laughs> this extra job for themselves, this hourly job. But, um, you know, like, I started doing this stuff like – uh. You know, I would trade studio time for people like I. I have the name, all kinds of stuff. First of all, every every label was trying to sign me. Creation tried to sign me. Everybody tried to sign us early. So, under the pretext of recording demos, or, or people wanting to sign me, or give me demo deals, or they wanted to own fifty percent of my money for all the time. They wanted to take all my publishing. They want. It was just, you name it. It was the works of people trying to screw you over, right? But I would go in and say like, okay, well, I'll record these songs for you, or whatever. But I would just like I would just go in there and blow out a bunch of stuff and mix it to cassette and then take that stuff and make records. <laughs> that I <didn't> even care. <laughs> you know, and I would just be so unagreeable to everyone that they would just be like, "Fuck you, get out!" You know, I'd be like, <laughs> "Cool." And then, uh, you know, I would do things like, um, yeah, it was just endless like that. You know what I mean? I would say, "Do you mind if I just do this vanity project while we're talking about this record deal or whatever?" I <laughs> I get record companies to to. Uh, to put out seven inches of my friends' bands. Mm. While we're talking about this contract, we put out every single band on this, on Hate Street, <laughs> you know, like, you know, and, and all this different stuff. You know, I knew this one guy and I would, um, I would go to this music shop that, that was all vintage gear. And I grabbed like a Farfisa organ or something. And I would record every single key and, and trim it in, in sound designer, which was, it, it was at, before Pro Tools, it was Avid mm. specifically for film. That became, multi-tracking became Pro Tools, but it was a part of the Avid film editing system. So I would take that audio suite and just trim all this stuff. And then the guy that owns the studio would license it out to emulator. But under the pretext of doing that, I would work, you know, and I'd haul ass doing that and trim in that stuff, right? For him, you know, like these packages that you still get sampled. That was me. But then I, I would do this other thing where I would just, like, just record my own stuff in the control booth. But the, the funnier thing that I would do is I, I used to play this this game of A Thousand and One Nights, you know, because I loved that book when I was a kid. And so anytime I'd be in the studio with some rich benefactor or whatever, right, you know, I would uh, be there under the pretext of finishing this one song. But I would go, oh, you got to listen to this other thing. And they would go, I don't know, I got to think about it. And the next day, they'd go, this is some mighty, mighty shit. And I would go, that's nothing, listen to this next one. And I just endlessly do this. I've never completed completing anything for their satisfaction, but leading them on to the next day. That's how all the, those early records were made. I think there were six of them in one year that I did.
0: I mean, that's like so many people kind of approach the idea of, you know, the idea of getting signed initially and the idea of being courted by labels as such a kind of holy thing whereas it seems like you did the opposite like you did yeah. you always did you always have a sense of like your own worth
1: yeah but the thing thing was i just figured we were so popular immediately because you know i i used this uh, sort of climb the wall swim swim the moat dress up like a woman you know just do whatever you had to do to get you know i was really tricky in in, 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 you know, I'm very counterintuitive, and I'm interested in subterfuge and all that shit. And just, you know, my interest as far as studying when I was young is just off the hook. It could be anything. Could be just like using Crass as a point of reference. Just being 12 years old and reading about books that they're name dropping, or something. you know what I mean. It could be anything, right? But the thing about it was. Um, you know so i i would, I would go up to these Masonic temples, right? They wouldn't let us play at clubs. so i go up to these Masonic temples and they they do rent out the big halls for these functions, right? Could be married brothers married or whatever right and, and I would say, you know, well, I come from a family of builders, and I you know my brothers getting married, and we just want to have this little get together. you know how much is different in your hall, and can I pay you at the end of the night? And they go, yeah cool we're gonna have one band maybe a dj play and you guys can just control the bar right i don't care about that we don't need security or anything everybody's cool they'd be like no problem brother (laughs) and i'd be like (laughs) so i'd throw these clubs you know and it'd be the most happening thing and hate ashbury so pretty quick we got like a thousand people coming to see us because we were at the party see and i would move all these make up this band game this uh this club night called soundgasm and i just flip it around i go dive bars i go anywhere i mm. find the worst day in 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 i put some great band playing you know in uh most two bands you know and to play fantastic music even if i wasn't playing and it's basically just to give people something to do right but the big picture is that i'm creating an ecosystem for myself creating a scene but you see what i knew that w- was that um they could never take that away from me. And that was highly likely that I was just gonna get more and more and more popular and like build like a this like legend. So what I decided to do was just say no to everybody mm. to all the offers because the only thing I knew is everybody said yes. They said yes to everything. The same thing. Just like universally they say yes to photo shoots and all that shit. If they don't say yes to one manager, they say yes to another one, but they always take the suggestions of the lawyers and they always do all that shit. I saw what it got every Basically, nobody has jack shit now, you know, because Spotify and other crap, right? The whole in- tank none of those people work at those major labels. The whole thing is just a joke, right? Mm. But I own all my publishing and I make quite a bit of money off all that shit, see?
0: So it's just really worked out. <laughs>
1: yeah. I've completely been cleaning up the whole time.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, so going back to those times as well. Like, you know, uh, putting these gigs on and having—you um, said like only one or two other bands playing with you—in um, terms of the sound and kind of creating a scene. What was the kind of scene like at the time in San Francisco around them? We're talking like early to well, mid nineties.
1: Started. It was very much like this Red Hot Chili Pepper knockoffs and non-blocks. All this other shit, you know, like, and I get real high. I said, "Hey, what's going on?" And all this shit. And there was the old guard, you know, the like Santana, the Deadheads, all hanging out and stuff. And um, there was a couple of angular bands that were, you know, there was like Twilly Midgets and stuff like that, which were a spinoff of <coughs> a music club. There were these really freaky ass people. There was industrialists, industrial groups and that kind of shit and um but you know when i started you know i never fancied myself as retro Let's see because i'm just playing the kind of music that i've always been into i was born in 1967 so as far as i'm concerned i'm from the 60s and I mean, what you what you think's important about that's, but that's incontrovertible
0: yeah and what you think's important about the music from the 60s uh, in terms of the essences and elements that you take to well i, the don't, think sense. I, I don't think since
1: i don't take anything the thing that i do i have a realization is i just play folk music so i'm not blues based, mm. like all those guys were and i'm not necessarily copying anything i just think of psychedelic is mind expanding mm. it has less to do than you know like eric clapton just like Getting a perm and wearing his mom's clothes or something, hitting a wall, you know, that's psychedelic for him. Mm-hmm. Me, it just means like, oh, sure, I've done acid. You know, this sounds good on acid. I know it because I've done acid. So I know this music sounds good on acid. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm on acid, I don't ever have to do it again. Yeah. To me, the thing that impressed me was yeah, the way Brian Jones, he, played his band like a studio and he didn't give give a fuck about being the guitar player or the leader he was the leader but you know he would play cello and flute and he he approached it with this little kid like wonder and i i I, that's why uh you know he figures so prominently in the um in the word cell combination that is my band name i liked that he he treated the rolling stones every bit as much as um, his personal spaceship in the way that Kevin Shields uses a whole studio to do the mm. same, you know, from My Bloody Valentine.
0: Yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you think the Stones lost after, after Brian Jones?
1: Well, they lost that whole thing, I think, mm. specifically. But they were already losing it because, like, he's the one that rescued the psychedelic record. He had no interest in playing, and they Mick just had to have it because he was just being trendy, mm-hmm. trendy fucker like he is. But the thing that's interesting is they have no desire to sort of um play the songs accurately. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't give a fuck, you know. Like I could play "Last Time" and "Satisfaction" exactly like the record. Mm-hmm. But they don't care to do that, and for me, that would be it would be soul killing. But I suppose you need a soul to have your soul killed.
0: I kind of feel Mick Jagger particularly is is someone who um, it's like for him it must be like doing an aerobics exercise or something, you know, doing
1: yeah. But some... you know, he's such a icon. He is Mick Jagger. You know, you look in the dictionary. For the definition of Mick Jagger, and it's a picture of him. <laughs> it's one hundred percent Mick, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, he nicked all that stuff. But they, you know, they say that all this great art, 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 when it's like this kind of shit, that it's like a combination of five ideas that have really synthesized well to the mm-hmm. to that they can become their own cartoon. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. Bono is so much part of, uh, Ian McCulloch, it's sick, you know, he just said, I'm going to become that guy basically, but he mixed some other crap into it too, Mm -hmm. but he can never even shake that, you know, when you listen to the early of the but some people, you know, they mix those five influences together and you don't really see anything particularly. You just, you can feel its intensity and awareness of, uh, you know, math is math. Mm. You see, what I'm saying there's a logic involved in a lot of this stuff. I think, you know, that's not a debate. so All there is is like you're aware and you're obeying these laws, right? Are mm-hmm. you just for the fuck fuck of breaking them? And that's part of your thing. In the way that, like, neoclassical, you know, there's like we got over a century of at least since world war one but even before that i've just these people going here's a bunch of fucking ugly noise and this represents my family getting killed by perks mm. uh, or whoever the fuck you just insert your name here right mm. but that bullshit i'm really actually into classical like writing it symphonic singing it from inside my head not from going to conservatory or taking lessons i just think that every every bird has its song and Mine happens to be baroque,
0: and there's. You're talking about maths and and, and the psychedelia as well. And uh, um,
1: I mean, well, we're closer to folk in uh, in so many ways. You know, I'm only playing lower seven folk chords, mm. and I just endlessly find new combinations. So I'm not doing anything different than Scottish and Irish people could do it for a hundred years, hundreds, literally. Mm. So I'm basically playing folk music. But in the blender of my mind, I'm really interested in swing time, like all the 60s bands had, because those drummers were influenced by big bands. They're like, Mm -hmm. fuck play drums. So they all had this one style of drumming. None of them had that crappy style that everybody has now, which is this sloppy four on the floor where they're keeping time with the (laughs) hi-hat. All the all the all the great drummers keep time with their kick and snare, mm-hmm. which is basically back to Charlie Watts, I guess. Yeah, I'm exactly like that guy, except he's good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, but there's a sort of transcendence as well going on, isn't there? When when these elements come together and and. With frequencies as well, and you know, so much of what really? I love about what you do is is, yeah. is is sort of like these things when they come together. Like, it might be maths, but they cut they come together and they form something that becomes yeah. something right. else.
1: Yeah, and and it's impossible for my band because I have a, a, a I know exactly what that sounds like because I cultivate it. See, but um, my band doesn't always get it. But you know, I make it's all my amps, it's all my gear. It's the volume I say. It's the setting I say. You know, and because I can hear the modulations, the, the this, the harmony of the spheres, the harmonics on this different level, and on the technical level, whenever two, it's, it's this vibration. The strings are going wah, 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 and then they go really quick, right? You know, like mm-hmm. you play wah, 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 wah. Whenever two sounds. Uh, hit cross each other's paths at the same exact tone it causes space cancellation for a second they disappear so they can passive, but they also go as they cross each other's path and that's how they think noise and white noise to cancel out noise on your Bose headphones and all that mm. shit you see it just shoots back there's a microphone just shooting back what you're already listening to
0: there's always been that thing as well about like, because that's almost like using a default, you know, like not a default, like that's the wrong word, a fault, I guess, in in what was technically originally meant to like not be noticeable or something. There's always been something like about, well, great, great music has always sort of
1: reused stuff in yeah. a way that hasn't well, been. Using what would, could be a weakness as your strength or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, but yeah, so I'm aware of the perceptions in in the hall, in the rooms we play. We always play the same volume from rehearsal to the, doesn't matter, outdoors, anywhere. Mm. And we're always facing each other. I could give a fuck if anybody's looking at me or if I look at anybody. I mean, I do sometimes. I think um, if there's somebody that I'm really interested in, watching you play and sometimes i'm like captivated like i'm just playing for them
0: what is, what What? what is that you know what what kind of uh breaks you out of the
1: kind of the dynamic of i the- think because um i believe that, that that uh things they have a foundation and they it's like when i tell my band i get so pissed but i'm like you got to pay absolute fucking attention for you know this one little it's like a loop mm. those loops are all connected that's a measure those measures are all connected together and i want you to focus for the next three and a half minutes take a deep breath and we'll launch it the next one and then do the next one again it's four and a half minutes and keep going and 24 songs later we're done i want you to do that every day all those measures out of, all those seconds that up to minutes, the minutes into hours. We've we've finished that day. I even bought everybody pajamas, you know, because I'm like, fuck you, idiot, man. Take your boots off, take your dirty ass jean jacket off, hang it in the closet and put on your pajamas. And that puts a look ins on your your day, you know because it just gets to be such a blur just drinking 24 hours a day on a bus, rolling down the road for a month. You know, it's horrible. I'm like, no, just put on your pajamas. You can still have a nightcap, but you know, just like that day is over. When you put your jeans back on and you go to work for the next day.
0: And is this all about being able to kind of create a flow state around what you do and, and, and orchestrating the band yeah, my,
1: whole life, my whole life, you know, sit here, I'll be on uh, Mastodon and on my social media just sharing music all day long, listening to music when I'm not in the other room like I've been doing remixes the last couple of days. When I'm not doing that and basically what I'm, I'm sharing what I'm listening to, but what I'm doing is I'm basically doing an alpha wave generator. I've just created a dream state for my life that keeps me in the same exact mood Minus, you know, like I had just a shit storm about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I was not feeling well, and some fans passed away, and I was going through so. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's it happens at a certain point in your life. Going through it changes in my personal life, and you know, it's just one thing after another, and I was just felt like crying nonstop. You know, uh, long story short, um, you know, I just get in this music flow just keeps me the same every day and it, and i can share what i'm actually listening to with people you know which is quite cool and they don't have to know what i'm doing
0: are there ever times where you just want to get away from that music flow that you
1: you get sick of it or you you want something else i've been doing you know is like when i when i start making records and doing that you know i'll get like 45 songs i was them one after another at least write and record done mixed in one day each song and then i'm like that's enough and then i put it down and that's that completes that um we call it a purple patch i don't know if you ever heard that phrase no i haven't no no. it's like when you're a writer or something and everything clicks and you're just banging out page after page you know it's like something you can't You know, you can set up your desk just so you can go to the mountains, you know, like, oh, I thought I would go to Mallorca, you know, hang out. It'd be great. I rented this house for a month. It probably won't happen, you know, but sometimes you just turn a page and it just doesn't stop. But me, I get to the point, you know, where I'm like, that's enough. I'm going to put it down. But I also come in just to write. But this is a different situation. And uh, I get on this mind flow where... It could be endless, but I say that's enough. You know, if I was a painter, it'd be like, you just stumble on it, you get inspired, right? And you're you're doing a a technique that lends itself to some sort of theme or something, right? Meaning, it could be a technical way. You're approaching something or whatever it is, right? You'll carry on in that series. But for me, like, I won't carry on with that series for the end of my life. I'll just say... You know what? Forty of those suckers is pretty damn good. And I'm gonna leave right there. And I also want, when I come back, to uh, this is like a key to my personal successes, is that I have to fight just like the very beginning to see if I still have that in me, if I if 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 I'm still true to myself, if my if my work is still quality and resonates, and if if the the output of that is if it, if it still retains form, like I'm not interested in what's cool right now. I could give a fuck what they're talk or who's fucking who or any of that shit. You know what I'm saying? But I, you know, I, I find it fascinating that there's loads of songs that I made up that I'll go out and play a concert or play them from the first day of practice. It sounds fresh as ever. You know, it's not rooted in time. Mm. I'm creating time. I'm making time for people.
0: I was going to ask you about that, actually, about how, you know, you approach, um, like when you're getting ready to go back out on tour, and when you go on tour, how, how you approach the old material and, and that you say it feels, it feels like a sort of like a, does it, would you say it's like an old
1: friend or something? Well, you know, I, have, I, I, I don't sit around listening to or even practicing all this stuff. Like sometimes for my very close friend that I love dearly, I uh, will try and play some song, and I maybe haven't played it in like 32 years or something. I haven't even thought about it, really. And I'm trying to figure out how to play this song. I have to reteach myself all the nuances and all the subtleties, and it has to be exactly perfect, because I don't want to end up like the fucking Rolling Stones and be a mockery of myself. Mm -hmm. Worse than some fucking... You know, like when they have these, what are they called? Like the stoned roses or whatever. You know, oh, these, the uh, tribute. Weekend mm. Fucking bullshit at Butlins. Horrible fucking god knows what band.
0: I know what you mean. And there's also that kind of thing I've noticed a lot, particularly in the last 10. I guess it's always been there, but it's happened a lot more to my generation of bands in the last 10 years which you seem to have always been kind of completely pure and not part of but the whole kind of you know pulp getting
1: back together the whole kind of what that's about them mm-hmm. see these people sign fucking contracts and they get the record company doesn't exercise that option so then they're fucked and the record company owns their name so you have to mm-hmm. pass a certain amount of time depending on the contract but usually it's seven years or mm-hmm. could be 20 years depending on the contract. So those bands all get back together, number one, because they have got use of their name and that's when the reissues come out too. Mm-hmm. So they're they legally not contractually bound by all that money they lost for fucking Warner Brothers or whoever they signed mm-hmm. to. Each album it builds up with a larger budget for recording and all this shit, but they were basically paying off their mortgages and crap and then recording for as cheap as they possibly could, like everybody. And then they start kicking people out of the band. Mm. You know, so they can pinch a little bit of more of that money for that house on fucking Grosvenor in Isling in Islington or some bullshit. And then they get <coughs> a divorce and that fucking goes up smoke. They don't even own that house. But um <clears throat> That's what it is about. Then there's the other thing. See, Madison Avenue's only had one great idea, which is like, well, let's fucking play it and just do what your fucking dad was doing 20 years ago. And it gets screwed up because of wars and things, but everything is always a reflection of that 20 year fart, you know? So you go back 20 years and they'll start bringing back Electro Clash or whatever the crap it is. And it's always like that. They did it in, you know, the late 80s with psychedelia. Mm. That was just a 20-year bounce from 67 and all that stuff. And so you had Tears for Fears getting all psychedelic. And that's just their only idea they ever had. That's right. Yeah, it was the seeds of love. But yeah, but that's the nostalgia thing, the 20-year. Mm. They do it in fashion endlessly, too, you know.
0: It but reminds me a little bit of... Um... Coming from England as well, it's like this sort of real repack, it's it's, it's the packaging of something that wasn't packaged before in the same way. Like
1: you go to England and- They do it with whole movies now, because they're like, oh, you know, like let's redo this movie, let's redo this movie, you know, and it's just trying to get kids money because they're idiots and they don't want to watch a Really good old movie. Oh, we'll just get these teenagers or whatever from TikTok to fucking star in this thing.
0: Yeah. What, what what would you say to um you know for someone that's you know you have got your own diy kind of industry really you know and it's is what, what what do you feel that you, you would say to people starting out now that that, that they may be doing wrong that they could do you know usefully better
1: you know i mean there's a whole stack of things you know because there's a lot of practical wisdom that, that people need and one of them is this it's like you have to really accurately assess what is going on and to me it's like you can row your boat as hard as you want right mm-hmm. but if you got a hole in your fucking boat and you can't bail wa- water faster than it's coming in you're going to sink so you got to really be aware of what's going on mm-hmm. you know and people do that all the time, man. They'll work their ass off in a band with a stupid fucking name. They'll they'll get a good eight, 10 years until their wife says she needs a new countertop or some bullshit. And the whole problem was they didn't want to give up that name that was never going to work and people had zero interest in. But they thought, you know, they were tired of fucking trying to think of a name or people don't even Google their stupid name to find out that once they do get a record deal, it, 10 people have it. I mean, they wouldn't even go to Spotify and search the name that they wanted to use and discover that perhaps they were just listening to that song that afternoon and were that fucking stupid. <laughs> because that happened a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's an important thing. But getting away from that, you have to share space and resources. And it's in your best interest to help people always. Mm-hmm. And the why is because we live in an ecosystem. There'll never be a shop, it doesn't matter what you're doing that exists waiting for you to get around to go and resupply your supplies. <laughs> you know, like fresh milk at the store every day of the week, just because you come in every two weeks or something and buy a fresh milk. Mm. It doesn't work that way, you know, and you want a nice shop at the store. So it's in your best interest to tell everybody, you know, and help each other. So it's almost like a socialist aspect is very helpful. Because, you know, you can get a bunch of people together and share a rehearsal space. You can share accommodation if you're younger enough in the way that students do. But, you know, uh, you can share a PA. You can figure out ways to do this kind of stuff. You certainly can go to pubs that have nothing going on and figure out how to do what I did, which is basically you go someplace where it has nothing going on. And you blog your way into this night. And what you want to do is you want to focus on inviting. The trick is not how to get your mates to go to a fucking show and bug the show every two weeks until you give up because they won't go up after three times. You always want to focus on how do you get people to do something that you don't know? Because the magic in life is what you don't know. You already know what you know. It's what you don't know that is cooking with gas. Everything else is bullshit. You want to learn things and you want to come in contact with people that you don't know. So, you know, I figured out early on that without being a creep, because that's disgusting, right? But if you focus on women and making them feel comfortable to go to your party, call it a party, even if it's at a pub, somehow, right? that everybody else will follow suit. Even lesbians will show up to your fucking stupid show because there's fucking cute girls there or at least friendly girls because you can redefine cute. They don't have to be fake-faced, plastic-lipped, bullshit, slap with the uh, scouse-brow garbage or any of that crap. You just be regular people, you know? And then so... You know instead of doing flyers, I was really interested in business cards that are really easy to keep in your pocket you start handing them to people mm-hmm. hey, and party in a week and a half, okay? And people always make the mistake of trying to cram three of their maids' bands in and nobody wants to sit through that bullshit mm-hmm. bands. It's gonna be horrible no matter what. Mm-hmm. don't have money to sit there and drink all night anymore. they don't have anything. so the the way you do it, You know, you have one, possibly two, but then you just play music the whole time. So it's fun to be there. You play great fucking music, not your own stupid demo over and over again. And you make the whole thing an ego ecosystem, not an ecosystem, an ecosystem that supports the concept that people go out to enjoy themselves. You're providing a pleasurable evening of entertainment so people can, can just relax. <clears throat> and you make it simple so then you repeat so if you do that once every two weeks pretty soon they're going to skip you up to the better night so say like you got a Thursday night at this club well you just go over the next town over or something or cross town and you do it again but it's better to go to the next village and you repeat and you get them all staggered like that and you don't have your band play every week what you want is a place for your band to be able to play occasionally because you only want to play that venue once a month, max. But you definitely want to have a circuit. So you're trying to build a circuit. And that's how you do it. And it will work like a charm. But you have to pull your head out of your ass and realize that it's not about you in the sense that you need an ecosystem. You need a place that's fun to go hang out. doesn't matter what you want to accomplish with, with your band. Right. So that's what we do in Berlin with 8mm and all this other shit. Mm. We don't. It, it, we're not trying to change fucking Berlin from techno land. It's just to give people a place to congregate and to have a uh, create their own culture because it doesn't exist unless we participate in creating and nurturing our own culture. And it's important for artists and galleries or anything you want to do you need to pull your head out of your ass about it. you being on your own or what the competition is there is no competition not for the kind of parties i build i make sure it's fun because so, that's what people need is fun
0: and it's it's interesting because what you're saying and it seems to be that that is what you know i i don't know bands that have done this since you know so what you're talking about, but it does seem that, you know, like you've so much in Berlin and that and there's something that, you know, has existed, does exist in the techno scene in Berlin, this kind of ecosystem idea, um, is which is psychedelia, psychedelia, isn't it?
1: It's an excuse to sell drugs is what techno is. It's horrible music. That people want to get bombed out of their mind and get in a hypnotic state and, and submit to this music. Heavy metal is the opposite. They want to rebel against it, scream and shake their head. It's a fucking loud sound. Techno is about surrendering. It's mm-hmm. about fucking castrating your mind. It's about nothing. It's about drugs and just like absolutely just being brain dead like a zombie. Do you think people honestly go... Do they love techno so much that they go on Thursday night and don't get home until Tuesday because they just love it so much? Or do they like doing bucket loads of cranking fucking random dudes in the bathroom? But the whole rave scene and all this stuff has always been about the E. That's why you're on Telegram, come on. It's always been about the E and the crank and all these drugs. It's an excuse to sell the drugs. Who else is staying up till six o'clock in the morning fucking spinning records? that's true
0: that's true i'm but there is there is an ecosystem there isn't there that the exists in terms of like the promoters ecosystem. and
1: how the ecosystem is they fucking make like they they don't the ecosystem is they're making like 90 grand a year off fucking selling powdered e mm. system
0: in terms of your berlin experience of experiences that that's obviously not your thing but what what was what was kind of attracted you sorry
1: because you can't be a fucking fascist here, and, and the whole West West has gone fascist, including the UK. I, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, but they can't technically be here. They can't even lie in the same way, blatantly. There are a checks and balances that, uh, as a spin off, uh, offshoot, a consequence of the Marshall Plan, that they took the best parts, the failed shortcomings of parlo- the parliamentary form of democracy, and the, the shortcomings of the American uh representative form and judicial form and they made a hybrid that happens to work and i just knew at these 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 times because they have to be fastest to be able to confront china and deal with these issues like you can't you can't vote (laughs) vote like a green future it's never going to happen because somebody's going to like on the on the side He's going to say there's some force you can cut down. It's going to be a couple million and I'll lose this piece of paper that says you have a permit to get mm-hmm. gold, or whatever it is, right? But people aren't going to vote themselves out of jobs and out of houses in Europe because how are you going to insulate all these old stone places? But anyways, if you want to get political. Yeah. Why?
0: Um, because I think... For me personally, Berlin is a place that I definitely have uh, some kind of feelings of mood that, that I moved here because I was disenfranchised with, with the UK.
1: Yeah. So. I feel like, like, Obviously, I'll never go back to America mm-hmm. like 15 years or more. Yeah, I'll never go back there because, you know, there becomes a point, right? And, uh, you know, like in. in National Socialism, everybody had to join one of the clubs that was an offshoot of National Socialist Plumbers Union. You, you know, it was every single thing, right? Teachers Association, every single thing. Mm-hmm. The National Association of Architects and Heroes. But the thing is, at a certain point, right? You know, Even the people that are just shutting their fucking curtains are guilty as they're dragging babies out by the hair and they're going, I didn't see nothing, man. I was just fucking trying to flip houses to pay off my mortgage and climbing up the Mm. property ladder. There's a certain point where everybody's guilty. Mm. To varying degrees, whether they get busted for it or not, they're absolutely guilty. Everybody's guilty for breakfast, Brexit, breakfast. Everybody's guilty that shit because they allowed it to happen and yeah. all, all the endless crap in the UK that you, we just hear about endlessly America especially everybody's guilty of the atrocities in that society endless uh, because they are allowing it to happen because they're so preoccupied with doing fucking yoga and every other thing that they gotta do except participate and be civic-minded. Uh, even to a, a minimum of decorum is required in in, mm. in democratic society. And you have to be civic-minded a little bit. You have to care mm. about people. Else, we're doomed. You mm. gotta gotta stop the idiots physically that don't care. Else, they will run you over. They will shoot you. They will do whatever they want to do. Because they're base level and they operate on an impulse and they don't have any, anything else going for them. None of this shit just happened last week. It's mm. not, oh, yeah, wow, oh, my God, there's a war right here. Imagine that. Mm. Oh, the world, it's such a crazy place. Jeez, it's so random. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which it goes into the idea of it being an, an ecosystem as well that we, we kind of just conveniently
1: conveniently ignore. Well, but the thing is, it's like, when you look, if you go, if you go to Scotland, right, mm. you're standing on the Appalachian mountain range that was part of the fucking eastern coast mountains where the hillbillies and all that shit live. Mm. Where Dolly Parton's from, it's all the same mountain range. When you look on the earth at a grand scale, it'll, it'll flick us off just like the dinosaurs, the fucking fleas. It does not matter in the big mm. picture. But uh, a lot of this stuff is just so awkward and, and painful to watch. Mm-hmm. Because I think that there's a there's this like uh perverse perversion. People get off on it, they're nihilistic, and but they get off on it, seeing this needless suffering and stuff. Because it doesn't have to be this way, a lot of it. And you see plenty of examples in this society where where we know that it doesn't have to be this way. Mm-hmm. Or that way. For instance, like America, every day is like Oh, somebody, a bunch of kids got shot. Oh, thoughts and prayers. Only If if there's only something we could do, you know, like fucking a mass shooting every day, maybe more, right? Yeah. If there's only something someone could do, you know, something.
0: Maybe it's got something
1: to do with guns. I I don't know. I'm not sure. I I just think that, you know, come on, at this day and age, right, that everybody should be required to... to, um, be part of a gun club at the very minimum. <laughs> every gun should be accounted for in that sense and that every person should be looked after in that sense. I'm not saying you can't have guns, but if your country has guns, it should be like Finland or something. You should be a part of a gun club. To that you know about safety and none yeah. of Nazi pseudo-Nazi bullshit and you're mm. you're some incel and you've got this deep hatred and you're not thinking correctly. Mm. You know what i mean it should be longer than just a trip to the shop where you buy a machine gun and you're walking down the street you're wearing it to go buy donuts like they do in the states with these machine guns on their back you know something as an
0: english person that terrifies me you know just the thought of being able to go to a shop to buy a gun but then again i think there's a lot of things about english
1: culture that must terrify people from elsewhere in the world as well Absolutely fucking ridiculous that you know. I know people in Manchester that have never been to Liverpool. They're like, "Fuck there!" It's like thirty minutes on a on a train, mm-hmm. like some great bands playing, but they only have one show or something. Mm-hmm. It's Liverpool, not Manchester, this time, right? Mm-hmm. So fantastic, like once in a lifetime chance, and they'll be like, "Fuck that!" You're like, "What are you talking about?" I'm not going. Why not, and It's insane. We'll take thirty minutes. Like, Take you five quid to get you there. Everything they do want to. Why? They hate us. Why do they fucking hate you? Don't open your mouth because we hate them. I'm like, oh, fuck all you sheep shaggers, I guess. <laughs> uh, and that was
0: Anton Newcomb, the Brian Jones massacre. In conversation with me, Paul Hampford for Lost and Sound, and we had that conversation on Monday, the fifth of December, two thousand and twenty-two. It is now a rather, rather, rather cold December the seventh, two thousand and twenty-two. I'm by Zonanelli station, um, sat outside a cafe where I do this little talky bit to you. Um, my fingers are getting quite numb so I'm going to keep it quite brief thank you so much Anton for, for giving me your time and being so kind and courteous in in the rearranging that I did on that massive massive respect um, so much that I took away from that um, conversation and I just want to leave with the buzzword not buzzword but the thing he said ecosystem not an ego system. that's going to stay with me the most recent Brian Jonestown Massacre album, Fire Doesn't Grow on Trees, came out in the summer. It's out now. And a new Brian Jonestown Massacre album is out next February. It's called The Future Is Your Past. It's released on 10th of February 2023. It's their 20th studio album. And they're touring in Europe in January and Feb. Check out the website for tour dates hyperlink I'm putting in this podcast description thanks to ESO for doing the music you hear at the beginning and the end of this episode Lost and Sound is presented and written and all of that by me Paul Hanford and the reason I can do that and put these out every week to you is thanks to my sponsor Audio Technica makers of high quality audio accessible to all headphones turntables cartridges microphones stuff that I like stuff that i actually fucking use i still remember the first audio technica mic dangling in front of me as i did my first ever vocal take my vocals were shit but the mic they sounded really good through the audio technica mic and i'm 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 recording this to you now on some really nice headphones of theirs head on over to audiotechnica.com wherever you are in the world and my book, Coming to Berlin, Global Journeys into a Club Culture and Electronic Music Capital, is available now on Velocity Press. Okay, that's it done. Thank you, Anton Newcombe, for speaking with me today. Thank you for listening. I hope you, listener, people, people, you, you, yes, you, I hope you're having a fucking wonderful day, and I'll chat to you soon. Bye.